Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Park Lawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. This is, a, this is a great church. I just love being at Park Lawn. I say often that if I weren't the pastor here, I would still be a member here. Amen. And you know, I've been saying that for so long, it's about to come to pass next year. You see, what we have whatsoever we, we say, right? That's about to come true, Elder Marcus. I'm going to be a member here. And you're going to be the senior pastor next year. Amen. Praise God. Well, this is an exciting time in Park Lawn, the season of Lent. And today we're launching a series focused on simply again. And that word again means to do it another time, one more time. Uh, to return to a previous condition or a previous position. I shared with the earlier service that uh, one of my good friends, he's from the south, he's from state of Tennessee and uh, we play golf occasionally a couple times each year and and uh, he has this phrase he say Lord just do it one more again one more again I believe that God wants to do some things over again in our lives I believe he wants to take some of us who have marriages that have uh, lost that fervor and that sense of passion he wants to just turn the water into wine he wants to do it over again he wants to take us back to uh to those moments of of passion and purity and uh and and hunger and thirst and so throughout the next uh, few weeks uh next week we'll hear a message focusing on dream again dream again I mean, you know god the bible says that he never sleeps nor slumber he watches over Israel and he will watch over you. And so that reminds me that while our physical bodies are sleeping, our spirits are yet awake. And I've been experiencing, and even last night, uh, just numerous dreams from the Lord. Um, and, uh, you know, when God gives you a dream, it's to give you instruction. It's to give you insight and sometimes even to give us warning. Uh, so that we can walk in greater blessing and prosperity and we can be protected from the, uh, the schemes of men and of the enemy. And so uh, we're going to be focusing next week on Easter Sunday on dreaming again because God wants to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask and even dream about. Amen. So invite somebody to come next week. And then the week after that, we're focusing on laugh again. Laugh again. 
Some of y'all haven't had a good laugh in a long time. And that means that you simply haven't looked in the mirror lately. Because I think we just need to laugh at ourselves sometimes. Amen. Stop taking yourself so seriously. And uh, we have three of the funniest people in the body of Christ that attend here at Park Lawn. We have three of our own resident comics. And so on the Sunday, the 28th, they are going to bring the message in comedy on that Sunday. So we're going to laugh again in both of our services. Amen. But today I want to talk about believe again. I want to take you back uh, to when you first believed. I remember 40 years ago when I first believed in the Lord. I remember where I was in my living room uh, when I knelt down in front of that uh, lazy boy chair and I gave my heart and my life to Jesus Christ. I believe God wants to take us back to that sense of of doing it all over, of, of, of starting afresh and anew, of having that passion and that, that zeal for the Lord. I believe that people today, uh, especially those who are outside of the church and who are not regular church attenders, I believe that they have a real desire to know Jesus. Uh, just as the song that the praise team just sang talked about chasing after God and having a pursuit of God, I believe that people today still have a hunger for God. They, there's not a hunger problem in the world today. There's, there's, there's not a lack of people pursuing God. I believe what the problem is, it's a Christian problem that many believers don't know how to present Jesus. And, and we present him in a way that literally can kill people's appetite to ever want to know the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, he talks about us as the church and he, he, he uses a symbol and says in verse 13 that you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. We are the salt of the earth. That means that we, have, we should have certain qualities about our life similar to salt. Salt had a number of uh, um, categorizations in, uh, in ancient history. Uh, it was often said a person is not worth their salt or is worth their salt. So salt was a valuable commodity to be traded. You wanted to be a person worth your salt, which meant that you were the real deal, that you had, you had characteristics and quality that were worth uh, following. Uh, but salt also has a preservative factor to it. Uh, people would often uh, rub certain meats with salt to preserve it to make it last longer. And so the Lord is saying to us as the salt of the earth that we are in the world to preserve it from stinking and rotting. You and your, on your job, you are helping to, uh, to allow a sweeter aroma of the presence of God to exist rather than the rottenness and the foulness that could just take over the environment. You are a change agent. Salt is a change agent. And another uh, characteristic of salt is that salt creates a thirst. 
when salt hits the taste bud, it causes the, the tongue and the taste buds to coagulate in a certain way so that, that you begin to salivate, you begin to thirst, your mouth begins to water, and you have a desire to quench that thirst. People who are in the business of bars and, and, and restaurants, they understand that. So if you go to a Mexican restaurant, the first thing they bring out is some salty tortilla chips. They might give you some free water. But a, a big bowl of salty tortilla chips and maybe some salt, salty salsa. And they want you to dip that chip in the salt, salsa. It's not because they love you. You're not family. They want one thing from you. They want you to dig in your pocket and bring out a $20 bill, slap it on the table, say, give me a beer or give me a soda or give me something to wash these chips down. You all remember those BC days. You haven't always been saved, right? So you remember going to the bar and you probably saw some... um, uh, you probably saw a picture like this. Put that picture up with the with the salty nut. You ever heard of beer nuts? They call them beer nuts for a reason. And salty pretzels and salt mix. It's you know it's it's there not because they love you. They want you to spend more money. They want you to eat as much as you want, and the the, the, the more you eat, the the thirstier you'll get because salt has a way of creating a thirst. And the Lord says that in the same way, my church, you are called to be salty. But I'm, I'm sad to, to see that the, much of the church has lost its, lost its saltiness. And as a result, the world doesn't have a relationship with God, not because they don't want it, not because they're not hungry for it, but they have a distorted view of God because the church has gotten in the way and we presented a wrong image of who Jesus is. And so we make it our business at Park Lawn Assembly of God to, uh, to talk about fulfilling the Great Commission and fulfilling the Great Commandment. Uh, we, we every Sunday remind you that we have been called to bring forth God's light, life, and love to our city and to our world. Tom Rainer is a Christian author, but he's also a researcher. And uh, he's put together some data on unreached people, unchurched people. Uh, people, some of you all as well, he talks about in a certain category, and I'll, I'll share that in a moment. But he identifies three terms. He talks about the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S. This is a category that represents those American adults that self-identify as not having any church affiliation. That if they were to take a survey and you were to ask them about their religious background, they would not check Catholic, they would not check Lutheran, They would not check Assemblies of God or Pentecostal or Baptist or whatever. They would say no church affiliation. They are nuns. But if you were to interview many of them, they would say that they are spiritual. Some would even say they believe in God and may not have the same definition of God that you do. But the Pew Research Institute has garnered this study and it said that Americans now represent 20% are represented by 20% of this population. And that's up from five years ago. It was 15% five years ago. So it's a growing percentage of people who do not have any church affiliation. The other 80% 
would check that they do have a religious affiliation. And uh, the research calls this group nominals. Nominals. The word nominal means that you exist only in title or in name only. That you don't have any real sense of commitment. That it's just a, a, a for show relationship. You're nominal. 80% of American adults have some religious affiliation, but over half of that group state that they attend church one time a month, one time a year, seldom, or never. It's also interesting that in our own city, 53% of the people in our community are never coming inside of a church. 53% of them are not coming into anybody's church. And most church attenders will give you two to four live attendance opportunities each month. It, it didn't used to be that way. And I'm not saying that we need to go back to that. I'm talking about the reality of what it is today. People will give you two to four live attendances per month. So if you want me to come to the chat and chew, that's one. <laughs> you want me to come to something else on Wednesday night? That's two. That means you're not going to see me on Sundays. <laughs> he, uh, the research introduces us to a third group called the nomads. So we have the nuns, we have the nominals, and then we have the nomads. This is an often neglected group of church people because we often see them in church and we think that they're fine, but they're nomads. That means that they're here today, but they're at some other church maybe two weeks from now. And then maybe next month you might see them again, but they've been at a couple other places <laughs> since the last time you saw them. And I'm not talking about um, con condemning people because they give you two to four uh, live appearances a month. That's just the reality for whatever the reason is. The point is, is that we have to continue to lead with mercy and love and grace and forgiveness first. To demonstrate that here at Park Lawn, for a number of years, we've, we have been focusing on five B's. Look at these with me on the screen. The first one is to simply recognize that we all begin. I love to ask people, where are you on your spiritual journey? Because we're all on a spiritual journey. Some people are at the beginning. And the conversation might even be, might be their first step. Others, maybe they have stepped forward, then they stopped, then they went back. Others have been on the journey for a longer period of time. Some folks have been on it and they moved to the side of the road and they just parked it there for a while. But we're all on a spiritual journey. We all begin somewhere. And then we have to lead, and our desire at this church, our posture is that we lead with belonging first. That even before you believe, you belong. God loves you. God has a plan for your life. You don't have to believe in order for me to love you. I'm going to love you no matter what. But we hope that you come to a place of belief. And when you believe, that belief is manifested by, by certain things. You demonstrate it. When my wife was chasing after me for about six years until <laughs> we finally got married, 
I got the mic and this is my story. She can tell her story when she gets the mic. But to demonstrate that belief, we exchanged rings 34 years ago. That was a public sign to the world that we had an, an inner commitment to one another. And when you have an inner commitment to Jesus Christ, there needs to be an outward sign of that. Water baptism is, is one of those ways you do that. You demonstrate your belief. And as you make a commitment to Christ, then you go on to become. You go on to connect. You go on to grow. You go on to serve. You go on to get deeper in your worship and even in your expression of, of, of sharing the things that God has done for you. That means you go on to become a witness for Jesus Christ. So there are practical ways and steps that after you believe, you, you start coming to church, whether it's two or four times a month. For some of you, it's, it's more often than that. But when you get to the place where you start inviting friends to come to church with you, and even when you're not here, that means that you sense that you belong in this place. Because nobody invites people to come to a place that they've not had a good experience. I don't know anybody that has had a bad experience at a restaurant that has, has made recommendations to their friends. You need to go to that restaurant. The same thing is true with the church. So start inviting your friends, sharing what you found, and you want other people to experience it. If you want to go deeper, then join a team. Become a ministry volunteer partner. Find a place of service. Find a place where your spiritual gifts or your, your heart, your passion, or your abilities, or your personality, or your experiences have an expression, whether it's in the local church or as the church is going outside in the community. Join a team. And then fourthly, the moment that you begin to give generously, not only of your time and your talents, but when you start giving of your treasure, you start giving uh, God your your resources, your financial resources. We call it the tithe, which is a word that simply means 10%, tenth. The tithe is the beginning point of our generosity. And we are joining our resources together so that we can together continue to give hope and bring rescue to our community. And we've done that here at Parklawn. And if you were here for the announcements, you, you noticed that 60 goodie bags full with love and, and positive expressions and practical uh, items were given to the parents at Townsend Middle School this past week. That's an expression of, of our generosity. Uh, for a number of years, Parklawn and other churches have been in partnership uh, going out to Sherman Park on Saturdays, providing free food and just building relationship with the young people who are there. It's, it's because we want to bring rescue and hope to our community. We're in partnership with the, with the YMCA. In a few months, we'll be opening up the doors to our Upstart Kitchen across the street, which will provide an incubation space for food entrepreneurs and those who are caterers and have food trucks. If you were here last summer after the, uh, the number of shootings that occurred in local parks, including in Washington Park, we had our praise fest. I think a week after, uh, there was a double shooting in the park. We're there because we are committed to bringing light, life, and love to our community. We had a We Care Community Festival last year in which 1,123 people attended. Many received free backpacks, free haircuts, 
300 pairs of shoes were given away, free food was offered, while at the same time giving people community and social service resources. All of that, just done locally, not even talking about what we do internationally, happens because people begin, belong, believe, become, and become a witness. And they give their, their tithe and offering to the house of God. So this series is about all of us believing again. It's a series, this message today is, is for non-church folks, for those who are not regular attenders, to get to a place where you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. But it's also for those of us who've already made that decision. And, and, and it's a challenge for us to become believable again. How do you become believable? Not believable, but believable. Believable. Because some of y'all are believable already, all right? Don't look at nobody. You already know who you are. But that's all right if you're believable. I mean, it's yours. You bought it. It looks good on you. Praise God. Just go ahead and be weavable. Amen. But I'm talking about becoming believable. How do we get that, that sense of credibility back, that, uh, that attractiveness, that sense of authenticity, that influence that when we say that we are followers of Christ and we're members of a local church, that people who are non-church attenders, they sit up in their chair and they begin to watch us. And they ask us about the reason of hope that we have. There are a lot of people in the world today that have just simply got a wrong perception of who God is. And if we're going to get that back, then we have to start with Jesus. I think when we start with Jesus, we'll, we'll see that some of the practical things that he did is that he, first of all, he put people first. He added value to people's lives. Uh, he saw people's needs and he put, his, he put their needs before his own needs. In fact, Jesus was, was, would, would be quick to say that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but I've come to serve. I've come to seek and save that which was lost. And what he's really saying is that I'm coming to put people first. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. God puts people first. They are high on his priority list. The person or the church that learns how to put people first and add value to them and meet the needs of the people will never lack followers or disciples. They will never lack people who will, who will support in resources and support in their joining their teams with their time and their talent. But there's a cost for that. And Jesus paid the cost because he was criticized for being called a, by being called a friend of sinners. In Luke chapter 15, he spent time with the tax collectors and with the prostitutes and with those who uh, the King James calls them wine bibbers. And they called him a friend of sinners. They criticized him. Religious people will always criticize you when you are seeking to win the lost. They couldn't handle him putting people first. But Jesus shows us through the parables of the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son that God is willing to go wherever he has to go to reclaim his children. Jesus demonstrated that in his own life and ministry. He went to a graveyard once 
and he met a man who was, who was exiled from the community. He was chained and he lived among the tombs. But when Jesus encountered the man, the people found the man changed. The scripture says that he was clothed finally because he, he, he used to run around naked. But when Jesus encountered him, he was clothed. He was in his right mind and he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. But the people of that town, they didn't value people first. In fact, they valued pigs. They told Jesus, we want you to just go ahead and go into the next town. You, you're costing us pigs. We don't value this man. Jesus, he demonstrated not only by going to that man, he went into a crowd of lepers. He went to a well in John chapter 4. He told his disciples, I have to go through Samaria. I've got to go through a part of town that nobody really wants to go through. No God-fearing Jew would ever step foot in Samaritan territory. They would rather go around out of their way than take the shortcut through Samaria. But Jesus said, I've got to go there because there was a woman that he wanted to meet at that well. And this woman came to the well when nobody else was there in the hottest part of the day. But Jesus said, I'm going to that place because I want to meet this woman. There was no place that he would not go to meet that woman. It reminds me of a song called Reckless Love of God. I've been playing this song over and over. And the words remind me of how God feels about you and me. The words say, before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It says there's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. It's the reckless love of God. I don't know where you were when God found you, but I know I was toe up from the flow up. But he found me. He came to where I was in my, in my lowest place, in my deepest sin. Some of you all act like you got it all together, but you know in your heart. But God found me in that place. Thank the Lord. Amen. For his reckless love. No mountain he won't climb up. No shadow he won't light up. No wall he won't tear down. Lie he won't, he won't tear down coming after you. That's the kind of love we ought to have for people. So if we're going to become believable again, we got to follow Jesus' example. Here's another practical step, just real simple. It's not real deep. If you're going to win people to God, win them to yourself first. They're not going to follow God if they don't like you. So we got to get out of our own way. Win people to you first. Amen. 
You're supposed to be saved and supposed to be joy-filled and spirit-filled and happy. If you're so happy, tell your face you're happy, all right? Just go ahead, send a message, a telegram to your face and say, you know, we're happy. It's okay to smile. It's all right to be nice. That's the way Jesus lived. It's called a friend of sinners. Jesus went to a, to a wedding feast, turned the water into wine. It's going to mess up with some of y'all theology right now because they drink the wine and say, this is the best wine we ever had. Most people bring out the good wine in the beginning. You saved the best for last. Turn up, turn up. Not only did Jesus live that way, but the Apostle Paul did as well. Paul valued people. They came first to him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, Paul says, Though I am free and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under God's, under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all means possible, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. See, Paul was saying the same thing Jesus said. I will, I, there's no place that I won't go to reach people for Jesus Christ. And if you say that, you got to be willing to handle the criticism of religious people. But I just know that God will not let any one of us go. He's going to pursue us. He's going to chase after us. Pursue us with the reckless love of God. In order for us to get to that place, we got to realize that our number one goal for being on this earth as believers of Jesus Christ is not to come to church. That's, that's not our main goal. <laughs> I thank God for the, for the fellowships that we have. The meetings, the teas, the chat and chews, and the, the gatherings, and all that's good. But our number one goal for being here is to fulfill the great commission and the great commandment. We are here to reach the lost. We spend too much time with one another as Christians. Come on, we're going to spend eternity together as Christians. I'll see you up in heaven, all right? Let me, let's spend some time with some non-believers. This coming summer, we, we've already started last Wednesday the introduction of the art of neighboring. But this coming summer, as we're preparing to open up our homes and open up our backyards and our front porches and our decks for, and our streets for community uh, engagement, for a neighboring movement, for block parties. Why are we doing all that? It's so we can spend time with those that 53% who will not come into the church. 
Another practical step to become believable again is that we have to accept the call. Every one of us accept the call that you are already enlisted in God's full-time ministry. You don't have to go to Bible school. You don't have to have a title of preacher or reverend or minister or apostle or Baptist or, or, or whatever it is on your name. You have already been saved, and that means that you are in full-time ministry. You've been called to win people to Christ by winning them to yourself. You've been called to serve people by putting them first. And if you do that, we'll see transformation. Let me show, an, show you an example through the life of Philip, the evangelist. In Acts chapter 6, we're first introduced to Philip. Philip was one of those seven deacons that were selected in Acts chapter 6. Uh, and the deacons were selected because there was a problem with the, the distribution of food among the, uh, the widows. And the apostles told the church, you know the people, so choose seven men who are full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and who have a good reputation. Bring them to us, we'll lay hands upon them, and we'll delegate this ministry unto them. And so in verse 5, the Bible says, this proposal pleased the whole group. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And also Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So when the word of God spread, the number of the disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. See, that's that influence. That's that believability. In verse 8, Stephen, a man full of God's Grace and power performed great wonders and signs among the people. In, verse, in chapter 8, we look a little dip, deeper into the ministry of, of Philip. In verse 5, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When you proclaim, you are telling. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to him. See, we've got too much telling in our lives. We need to have some show. Show and tell. Philip had both. And they paid attention to what he said because he had a demonstration. He had a demonstration of power, of deliverance. He was meeting real needs because verse 7 tells us with shrieks, Impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. This, this shouldn't just happen in the church. This should happen on your job. It should happen in your schools. It should happen in the hallways. It happen on the in the, in the uh, practice halls. It should happen wherever you are, not just on Sunday, because you are in full-time ministry wherever you go. In verse 8, it says one of the other signs is that there was great joy in the city. In verse 9, some of the, for some time, a man named Simus had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. 
Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and the miracles he saw. Let me just stop right there. Talk about this man, Simon, in verse 9. Now, this man, he wouldn't be a member in many churches today. He wouldn't be a candidate because he was a sorcerer. He, he practiced witchcraft. And for some of us, we say, oh, nope, 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 nope. We can't, you, know, yeah, you take that on the application, you know, to the church down the street. I think they would, they would take you, but not here. You got to come in perfect. This man practiced witchcraft. People were following him. But when he heard Philip and he saw the miracles and the signs, the show and the tell, he believed just like everybody else. And he also got baptized. And he started following Philip, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. He, he knew that his own life was, was counterfeit. When you're dealing with sorcery and horoscopes and psychics, and witchcraft and palm reading and tarot cards that is counterfeit power that is demonic power that you are entertaining even this man had that experience but when he saw the authentic in Philip he believed he started his journey he began he belonged he believed he got baptized was he perfect nope because let me show you what happened after that the, the apostles in verse 14 heard that Samaria had accepted the word, so they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord. So these apostles come, and apostles come with an with anointing of power. And of miracles and signs and healings and deliverance. And they were laying hands on people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, you're probably wondering, what does that mean? Is that similar to water baptism? Well, there are three baptisms that a believer should experience. The first baptism is when you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, you believe. That means that the Holy Spirit takes you and baptizes you in the body of Christ. You are now part of the family of God. Before you even speak in tongues, before you ever stick your, stick your big toe in a, in a pool of water to get baptized, you've been baptized into the body of Christ. You are part of his family. The thief on the cross got baptized into the family of God when he was on that cross and said, Lord, remember me. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's the first baptism. It's salvation. Then there is a second baptism, which is water baptism. In just a few minutes, at the end of the service, we're going to open up this, this water baptismal floor, and we're going to invite some who've already signed up to be baptized. But then there are some of you that are here today that as the word is going forth, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There are some of you today that are believing you are coming to see who Jesus is and you're believing him. And we'll, we'll have a spontaneous baptism for you. We got robes and towels and clothes and whatever we have to do. We'll baptize you today, send you back home dry. But that's the second baptism. It's a baptism in water. It's like putting on your wedding ring. You're saying to the world, I belong to Jesus Christ. It doesn't save you. It's an outward sign 
of an inner commitment. Then there's a third baptism. And when the apostles, Peter and James, left Jerusalem and came to this city of Samaria where Philip had already began preaching and people were getting saved and getting baptized, those first two baptisms, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. He had not come on any of them. They simply had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is more than just speaking in tongues. It comes with that which gives you a, a, a prayer language that you don't have to learn. It's not your native tongue, but it is a prayer language, whether of men or of angels. It could be another tribal language, another uh, ethnic language, or it can be a heavenly language. But you are praying in a way that is in agreement with the will of God. It's the perfect prayer every time. It's the spirit praying through you. But it comes for more than just your prayer language. It comes to give you a baptism of boldness, a baptism of power, a baptism of love, and of a sound mind. And you become directed and guided and yielded and filled by the Spirit of God. That's what believers need and that's what the world needs to see so that we become believable again and we become attractive and have that influence that would cause them to want to believe again. Somebody need to say amen. amen. And so they lay hands upon them and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, this, this man, Simon, he says, you know, give me this power so that I can lay hands on people and they get the Holy Spirit. He offers them money. And Peter rebukes him. Now remember, he's got the first baptism. He's saved. He got the second baptism. He's baptized in water. But his heart ain't totally right with God. And so he still needs the correction of spiritual leadership. In the, he still needs the love of the church. And correction is another form of love. They didn't put him out the church. They loved him. <laughs> they loved the hell out of him. <laughs> Amen, somebody. That's what we got to start doing. Loving the hell out of people. But Philip was so full of the Holy Spirit. He was yielded to the nudgings and the direction and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So much so that in verse 26. An angel of the Lord said to Philip. Go south to the road. The desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. You know the Holy Spirit will speak to you sometimes. In a still small voice. Sometimes he'll wake you up in the middle of the night. Sometimes while you're sitting at your desk. The Holy Spirit will say. I want, I want you to pray for your daughter right now. And you're thinking. Well my daughter. I dropped her off at school this morning. Everything should be fine. You need to listen to the nudgings. And the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit knows the will. And the mind of God. He is God the Holy Spirit. And he will give us promptings and nudgings because he wants to do something according to the will of God. But he will not do it without you. He needs you and I to cooperate with him. I'll talk about that more when we talk about dream again. But Philip was so yielded to God that he was willing to leave the revival in Samaria. Remember, people are getting saved and baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And demons are coming out and people are getting delivered. That's like, woo, that's exciting. But he wanted more of God. And so the Holy Spirit directed him to go to a desert place, to a dry place. Because there was a person who was hungering and thirsting for more of God. 
In verse 27, he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important officer in charge of the treasury of Candace, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And Philip heard, ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. You need to be careful who you run up on in today's day. But Philip, back in that day, he ran up to him. Why? Because the Holy Spirit told him. Now you run up on somebody and the Holy Spirit ain't told you to run up on them. You got to be prepared for whatever happened. <laughs> you see the picture of this Ethiopian eunuch? He was hungering. He was thirsting for more. He was on a journey, not just naturally on the road back to Ethiopia, but on a spiritual journey. He had came to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way back home, he still didn't have a full belief. And he didn't fully become what God wanted him to be. He hadn't still become that full witness. He was on his journey. And I thank God that, that, the, that the Lord sent somebody who was an attractive believer to him. Not somebody to ruin his appetite. Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Anybody ever invited you over? If they haven't, there might be a reason. You might be the reason. They said, you know what? I'll call you. Take care. I'll call you later. And they ain't called yet. There might be a reason. You might be the reason. He invited Philip up total stranger it's because Philip connected with him rather than corrected him there are many of us we lead with correction rather than connection before you join this church we got to correct you we got to change this about you change that about you no we connect with them and then they'll give you the right to correct them it's the Holy Spirit's job to bring the change and to bring salvation. It's our job to love. He invited him up to sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was, led, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me please, who is this prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Man, I love being around people who are hungry for God. Philip didn't jump right away into this man's legalistic practice and the Ethiopian uh, doctrine of theology. He loved him and connected with him. So much so that in verse 36, as they traveled along, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. 
what can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus, traveling about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. See, Philip was just a man guided and full and led by the Holy Spirit. People don't need to see us. They need to see Jesus in us. When he came up out of the water, he didn't see Philip anymore, but he was fine. He was, he was rejoicing anyway. Why? Because he saw Jesus. That's what our job is, to allow people to see Jesus in us. So may God give us our saltiness back. I challenge every one of you to get a hit list for hell. That means that just begin to get a passion again for the lost. Lost members of your families. Lost members in your neighborhood, on your block. Lost people in your school or on your job. And begin to write their names down and pray that God would give you ways to put them first. Give you ways to serve them. Ways that, that you can be a blessing to them and add value to their lives. You don't have to save them. That's God's job. You got to love them and serve them. That's how you become believable. Here's another tip for becoming believable. Just be real with people. Just be authentic. Most of us in the church don't even know what that means anymore. We're so good at acting. The Oscars ought to just come over here in Park Lawn and just, just audition some of y'all. You get an Oscar Best Actress Academy Award winner. No, just be real. And realness comes from remembering where you came from. Remember where you came from. Some of y'all, I don't even like to eat with y'all anymore. Y'all forgot how to eat with your hands and cutting up your fried chicken and stuff. Just grab that thing, man. Just, just, just grab the drumstick. You cutting the drumstick. You leaving meat on the bone. Just, you know, you know where you came from. Come on, we all came to Jesus the same way. Saved by grace. Amen. Saved by grace. And it's the same grace that will keep us. You don't keep yourself. It's grace that keeps us. Hallelujah. So as I close, let me talk about some of the distorted views that people have of God. Because as you leave this service, and we're going to have baptism in a moment, but as you leave this service, you're going to encounter people that don't have a relationship with God because the church has given them a wrong view of who he is. And one of the views that we've given him is that they see God as a wall. They see God as this long brick wall. And he's on the inside with all of his goodness and all of his glory and all of his love and all of his, his righteousness. And they're on the outside. And they can't climb over it. They can't tunnel underneath it. They can't go around it. They can't break through it. 
They see God as this God who is a barrier. He's, he's got fences up. And he don't want anybody to come into his presence who's not right. That's a wrong view, wrong view of God. If you want to know what God is like, Romans chapter 5 tells us that God demonstrates his own love for us. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to... He didn't wait for you to get right to invite you on the inside. He opened up the wall so you can come in while you were still in your mess. Another wrong view people have of God is that that God is a staircase. Led Zeppelin, this rock band years ago, wrote a song called Stairway to Heaven. And that was a song that was theologically wrong. People believe that, that, that God is a staircase, that if you walk right, if, you, if your ways are perfect, and if you, you can walk your way into heaven, your good deeds, every good deed is another step. You ask people, you know, if you were to die today and stand before God, and he would ask you, why shall I let you into my heaven? They say, well, I've, I've done right by you, God. I've, I've, I've treated everybody fairly. Okay, you're trying to walk your way into heaven. But that's not right because Ephesians chapter 2 tells us it's by grace that you're saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's not from your own good works because if it could be that you would boast about it but it's by grace. It's a gift from God. It's free. You don't work for a gift. It's free. So God is not a staircase and thirdly some people see God as a big garbage dump garbage dumps there's there's nothing attractive about about a garbage dump nobody stands in front of a garbage dump and takes a selfie it's just full of junk it's it's throwing away stuff it's 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 leftovers it's waste it's things that people don't want anymore it's discarded things and there's some people that feel like their lives are like that that they've messed up so much that they've sinned so many times and Come on, we've all been at that place. I've sinned. I might as well go ahead and keep sinning. God can't ever use me. My life is worthless. It doesn't measure up to so-and-so's life. But that's not how God is. God is like a door. A couple years ago, we were in Jerusalem. I took this picture of this door. Because doors remind me of access. They remind me of family on the other side of that door. I can just imagine a banqueting table on the other side of that door full of all kind of food. I can imagine this nice soft bed on the other side, a living room on the other side. And God inviting us in. In Revelation 3 and 20, he says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on, the th- on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Today, God is knocking. He's a door. That's what he's like. He's a door. He's a door and he's, he's access. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the truth and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
He's a door. He doesn't want you on the outside. It's not his will that any should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. The reason that God is so patient and hasn't brought his, his judgment on the world and the end time hasn't happened is that he's patient. He's given you time to hear his voice knocking at the door. And you, the handle is on the inside where you are. Open it up. He says, if you invite me in, I'll come in. I'll fill your life with all the good things that you've been looking for. This morning, I believe the Lord is knocking on the door of somebody's heart. Bow your heads with me right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, as we just pause in this solemn moment, I thank you that nobody is here today by accident. But each and every one of us are here because we're here by your grace and your mercy. We're here because we're on a journey. And for some today, Lord, you want to introduce yourself to in a powerful and a personal way. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you know that you're not in the place that you should be with God, if you know you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you were to die today, you don't have confidence that the Lord would say, hey, I knew you. Come on up. I prepared a place for you in glory. If you don't have that confidence, he didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. I would love to pray for you to receive that gift of eternal life. You don't work for it. It's not a staircase. You're not outside of the wall. You're not in the garbage dump. He's right outside the door. He's knocking right now. And if that's you and you want to invite Jesus Christ into your heart, into your life today, I want to pray for you. Just just lift your hand up right now all over the sanctuary if that's you. I see the hands that are up right now. You want to receive Christ. I'm going to pray for those whose hands are up. Father, thank you for the hands that are up. Pray this prayer right now. In fact, some of you are on your journey. And you've you've gotten off the journey. And you need to get back on track with God. Your hands should go up right now. Be included in this prayer. You want to get back in your journey? Just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart today and save me, Lord. Put me back on track. Baptize me in the family of God. Save me today. And Lord, lead me to a place where I'll become baptized in water and receive the third baptism in the Holy Spirit so that I live a life of power with you. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.